Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Adapt, Survive, Thrive. Your host, Maddie B., your co-host, CK. And uh, we were kind of conversating over the last week, and we felt compelled to talk about the subject that we're going to run through today, uh, which is investing versus trading and uh, how that can be muddied in uh, what we've been observing. And so we're going to start off with what we do personally with our investments uh, and the goals surrounding those and why we participate in uh, the markets. We're going to probably stick to mostly equities, but we will surely touch on uh, many of the other foundational investments like real estate and some other things. So Connor, how long have you been participating? Uh, for those of you that don't know, he's in his younger 20s, right? So I just wanted to give you that as a time reference. How long have you participated in uh, the market from a trading or investing perspective? And the main question I have for you is why? Um, I think it was three and a half, four years ago that I first started. Um, and the answer to why is because I wanted to make sure that in the long run, I had money saved or invested so that I wasn't broke. <laughs> it, that's how it started, sure. right? It, it's evolved. But I think I, I, I had a fear of not having enough money. And I was like, well, here's an opportunity to take advantage of the, the resources um, kind of at my disposal and, and, and try and make some more money and, and put it away. So can I ask you a side question? Because I think everybody's backstory kind of makes them who they are a little bit. Um, you mentioned saving, right? So is that something that you actively did for a while before investing? Absolutely. And I didn't really realize that I was getting robbed in a sense, <laughs> uh, just putting money in a savings account. You know, I got a job, I think my first job when I was 14 or 15 years old. And then you were my, you were my second job working for you. But um, yeah, I saved pretty religiously. Yeah, I would call I, it aggressive compared to most others in that age bracket. Yeah. And that was cool and you can save a lot of money but once you realize there's an opportunity to actually make money by saving because quite frankly you're not making interest anymore in a savings account um a not traditional savings account inflation basically no, exactly um so, so so that's kind of how it started is yes I, I did begin saving at a young age would you say you have aspirations to create some level of wealth to provide you the ability to do the things that you want to do in life and maybe maybe is you know whatever your parental figures or family figures or people that you uh looked up to outside of that you know drew you to being pretty young saving pretty aggressively and then transferring into investing that savings at a relatively young age was that did did that have an influence of the people that from the people you sur were surrounded with in the way that they either made money from their money or didn't make money from their money or whatever observations you had at a young kid as a young kid because what made you start to save money like what what was the real reason yeah. I don't know if, if I can like pinpoint it. I think we've had this conversation before, maybe even on the podcast, but I think 
07, 08 was a difficult time. My parents were getting split up at that point in time, actually. And so obviously financial situation changes a lot just in that circumstance, not to mention going through the greatest recession since the Great Depression, yeah. right? At the same exact time. And so I think, you know, and by no means were did my parents like go broke or anything like that. But like it's just I became conscious of it at a very young age. Um, I think, you know, nine, 10 years old. And so I think it was just always something at the forefront of my decision-making. And I think going forward, a lot of people in my life, and I think just in general, kind of separate investing and saving from their work lives and their personal lives. And I think people like you and me are fortunate because those three things are not separate at all. In my opinion, they're one in the same, my work life, my investing life, um, and my personal life and the, my friendships and the people I surround myself with. And so it's, we're lucky, but it's definitely, probably all related um you know why it is the way it is today absolutely absolutely uh, they say your sum total of experiences make your decision patterns meaning everything you've been through has an influence on why you choose to do things and when you start looking at those things intertwined it starts to make a lot more sense that they actually are if you are trying to get to a specific goal right definitely and so one of the things i'll note is um i've participated in investing um, mostly, uh, as of 2014, so call it seven years ago, which would have actually made me older than Connor before I even started investing. You could call education an investment, uh, but I'm going to leave that one alone for right now. Yeah. Though the, the thing that I grew up seeing, uh, was the ability to earn enough money where the rest of it actually didn't matter. Um, and I think that that is changing in the world, especially in the world that uh, many salespeople operate in, because the margin per sale is just not what it once was, call it, uh, in the 1990s. And when you're earning money, and there is uh, what I would call accelerated inflation, regardless of what the numbers state, and your income earning opportunities become less and less and less. It's like, okay, will what worked for my parents or a previous generation also work for me? And I just came to the conclusion that that's just simply not going to be good enough for where I want to end up well in advance of me dying because I want to do things. And that is part of why I choose to balance earning money investing that money and my risk tolerance in both those areas. And hopefully that will provide me personal freedom through financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much the nutshell of why I think most people are super interested in the market right now. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because it's really easy to make a lot of money right now. But when is going to be, I shouldn't say easy to make a lot of money. It's easy to put money in the market and have a higher percentage gain than you would otherwise have just because of the current market conditions right now. 
it's they, not always. Many would call them a bull market, right? Yeah, there you We've go. been in a bull market for arguably 10 years, depending on who you talk to. Yes. And it won't always be that way. And I think that it's important to set yourself up so that you can do well in both bull and bear markets. And bear is the opposite. So kind of a uh, downward trending market. All right. Um, and the one thing I would say is too, and I think it's just interesting to throw out there and people who are listening um, may want to ask themselves. And I'd, I'd like to ask you, because I think our answers might differ a little bit is how transparent kind of like in your home life or growing up and what you observed, how transparent was like the conversation around money? Was this something that you discovered for yourself or was it something that like was always there because it was an open topic of conversation? It's a great question because I actually know that this differs from household to household because, um, my significant other's family, I've got to know really well. And the, lack of conversation, if you will, or lack of transparency is just like a cultural thing a little bit, right? Um, and we don't come from different nationalities, right? This is just household cultural differences. Where I was raised by a single mother in a field that was highly profitable, but also highly volatile, meaning it was cyclical, right? So there'd be good times and there'd be bad times. And I was just around uh, my mother, um, and forced to go to work and overhear conversations. And there was all sorts of investing in land and real estate and development. And, you know, what actually I realized was that there was a lot of risk associated with that because there was a lot of people that lost a lot of money during that time. So I was, uh, exposed to a lot of open conversations where when I was younger, I thought that that was the quote unquote right way to do it. Right. But then I saw a lot of people get, you hear this phrase, right? Punched in the face when 2008 happened because most of my friends, family, and the people that lived in my city were one way or another involved in the housing industry. It could have been contractors, tradesmen, finance people, agents, uh, land developers, builders, whatever. And everybody got punched in the mouth. Some people were prepared for that punch in the mouth and many, many others were not. And so I just think that is a, an unconscious um, or they didn't know the risk profile of where they were investing, you know, and I think that it's because it's a backwards looking scenario where it's always been this way. And so it's going to continue to be this way. And I think that if you've lived long enough or studied history, it actually isn't that way, but it's really easy to just get wrapped up in the bull market, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, there's some consequences with that. If you decide to be over leveraged, um, yep. And so it can be a big problem. And so mine was super transparent. But throughout the course of my life, I have massively different beliefs than I was introduced to. Absolutely. And mine is the opposite, where it wasn't ever a topic of conversation. It was something I stumbled upon on my own, um, but had witnessed scenarios that I didn't want to have occur for myself, which is why I kind of took it upon myself to be interested in the space. But I think we're at a very cool point in time where investing or you know speculating is now at the forefront of the conversation it's accessible 
people have the tools and the resources to do these things for themselves. Barrier of entry has been lifted. Exactly. And I think that now that we have this opportunity, it's really interesting to kind of get into the conversation of what is investing versus what is trading or what is an active strategy look like versus a passive strategy. Why would someone want to choose one over the other? What are some other things to consider? And then maybe talk about what we do. Sure. And and why we do what we do. I like that. Um, So give me your definition of investing. Yeah. So I would say investing is definitely a, a form of speculating. So you identify a potential opportunity and you see that there's upside depending on your risk tolerance, how much money you're willing to risk or potentially lose, um, allocating funds to an investment that will generate positive future returns, hopefully. That's why it's a speculation though, because it's not guaranteed. But that is the goal. That is the goal is to generate positive returns preferably returns that beat the market. And would you say that there is a passive form of investing and an active form of investing? Absolutely. Um, I think that one can, let's back up. The historical view, in my opinion, is you either put money into an index fund, which, and you just put money in there every single paycheck or on some time period, let it sit wait for 50 years, you know, keep doing this over the course of 50 years, dollar cost average it. And then you take the money out and you can retire, whatever. And that's, that's kind of a a passive strategy, quote unquote. And at that point, you're probably on par with the market. So whatever the market is returning, which I think over the last since inception with S and P 500 since 1926, it's returned about 10 to 11% per year. On average, which means there's some down years and some 20% years. But on average, it's returning 10 to 11%. And if you have a 50-year time horizon, take your money and and compound it 11 to 10%. adds up significantly. Exactly. Yes. And there's another side of the coin, which is the active investing. And what people will do is they will say, all right, I'm going to trade in and out of the market consistently to try and, on average generate returns above that 10 to 11% that the market is generating for people. Historically generated. Historically generated for people. And some years people are very successful at beating the market. Other years they're not. On average, I think it's like 47% of active investors are able to beat the market, which means the majority are not more successful than the market. There's 53%. 47% of people beating the market is actually higher than I anticipated. Yeah, it's it's pretty high. Don't get me wrong. But and uh, that was from Morningstar that I just read that. Yeah. Um, so but the majority are not. And depending on different factors, such as what else are you doing with your time? How much time do you need to spend and allocate to actually trying to beat the market? Could you be making more money with that time? You know, what's your risk tolerance? How much money do you have to invest? Could you be doing other things to make money, more money than just investing, which you could then put towards your investments? There's so many different considerations yes. that people should should consider. Taxes, yep. if, you, if you're trading in and out, 
of the market which in a non-retirement account in right? a non-retirement account actively trading you have to pay capital gains taxes and treat it like you know ordinary income and that is subject to uh not always be the same so pay attention to the legislation based on capital gains taxes because that might actually change your outlook we may have an increased capital gains in the future so now what kind of returns do you need to beat above the market in order to actually make it worth your time all right so now from observing um a lot of public topics on trading um i guess from my observation there seems to be an overwhelming participation in the market in the trading realm um where i think some people from my observations blend that experience with investing but my other observation is from discussing, talking, and looking at people's feeds, uh, which would be social media feeds, which they would uh, kind of tell their story, is it looks like the definition of investing and trading are, are really uh, muddied in the water from my observations. Yes. And so what in, what in your observation does a successful trader need to do to beat the market or or what are those other successful people that are beating the market doing actively to ensure the likelihood of beating the market is the best it can be i would say step number one is allocating a heck of a lot more time than i have (laughs) to this fair um this is many people's full-time jobs j-o-b J-O-B. That point, I think, should be really hit home. Yes. Um, because that's the definition of active, right? If you go to earn a paycheck at your job, you're not expected to be passive at that place. And I think that as a trader, that you are active, in which case there needs to be a job-like structure to it. Absolutely. I mean, you need to be disciplined. Yep. And you need to realize that there's consequences for not performing well. If you're self-employed in this space, you may not be able to put food on the table, right? Now, hopefully you wouldn't put yourself in that position and you'd be smart enough to know that it can go to zero at any point. Hopefully it won't, but it's possible. And you have to have backup plans and alternatives. But um, getting back to your question, I think spending a lot of time and how they're spending that time is researching, identifying undervalued stocks if we're just talking about equities um and either you know doing complex math for their strategies whether they're using options or whether they're actually buying the equities many people aren't actually even buying they're just exercising call and put options which we can detail at a later date but in trying to balance those two to either minimize your risk or maximize your exposure to the potential upside and quite frankly in my opinion i don't have the time to do that um nor am i allowed just due to the nature of the work that i'm in am i am i able to participate fully in these markets so i have to take a different approach and investing in a a more passive way is really how i like to um participate 
Absolutely. And and that is where I fall into too, because my primary source of income does consume majority of my time. But one thing that I would say I do to make my initial investments that later become passive is still much of the same time allocation, right? It's just more of an upfront situation, not an ongoing situation. Absolutely. And I think, and that goes to the point of active versus passive is we, we spend a lot of time identifying one or a few different opportunities that we see value in 10, 20, 30 plus years down the line. Whereas traders might do that, but they are constantly looking for value to generate within the next week or month. Yes. Or even just or within even the intraday. Year. Yeah. It with, yeah, absolutely. And so it, because of the other priorities and things that we're balancing, I, I think we both agree that it just, we don't have the time to do that and, and to keep up to date on every single changing event. And I, and I think it comes back to the, our opinions of uh, the game, right? And that uh, everything is a game if you look at it the way I do. And so if I'm going to play a sport, which is also a game, can I compete? Can I compete? Can I win? Do I have a chance to win? And unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I don't believe that I can win consistently in trading because of my disadvantaged amount of time. And what you're doing with that time actually probably allows you to reap more long-term benefits from the investments that you have made and that you have put the time into. And this goes back to efficiency, right? Because if you're taking a look at what your uh, income looks like and your uh, time availability looks like, and if you generate a significant amount of income that you don't think you can do in the trading space, then you can still make that income and invest it. And you're doing two things simultaneously which is how I look at it. And then you can continue on that path and continue to exponentially do that in other things besides just equities, besides just your paycheck. It could be real estate. It could be investing in somebody else's business that you believe in. But that is the version of exponential growth on like an individual level that I have chosen to try to do. Absolutely. Um, I'm with you on that. And I think that, you know, right now to even complicate or to muddy the water, like what you'd said, even further is, you know, we talked about the historical lens of what it means to be an active versus passive investor. And I think now people are confusing investments that are made based off of very high levels of speculation um, due to incomplete information and just estimations and assumptions of what's going to happen in the future. They're confusing those people with kind of the same mentality of like being an uninformed trader, things like that. When really I think it's, it's a lot different. A couple of examples, uh, which we've never used before on this podcast are Tesla and Bitcoin. <laughs> that was a joke. By and, the way. Yeah. <laughs> and meaning that, people are investing in those two things with not a whole lot of evidence of what's that happened historically, but the upside 
is so great that it's almost too dumb to not have any exposure if you can yeah the risk reward or the asymmetrical investment opportunity which means how far do you believe it can go up versus how far do you believe it can go down which is of course zero right and then you still have to look at whatever information you have on let's just say bitcoin and tesla even though they are uh they have limited historical data but if you dig into what the fundamentals are behind the people Many people believe in these fundamentals, right? There still is an over 10-year history on both of those. So many people that use traditional valuations and things might be able to not grasp Tesla's valuation, right? It might not make sense to them. But that doesn't mean that inherently that stock or company is more speculative than, let's just say, BP oil company. Yep. Well, and we're seeing now that the market is full of many more retail investors who the market says things are worth what the market believes they're worth. And if there's enough people that believe Tesla is a multi, you know, trillion or billion dollar company, that is what it's going to be worth based on its market capitalization. It may not be generating actual profitability of companies that have historically held those types of valuations, but based on its market cap, that's what it is worth because that's what the market believes it's worth. Yeah. The old saying is something is worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Exactly. Um, And so where do we want to transition next? I think in this this is kind of off topic a little bit, but I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to and how I like to relate investing versus trading to my life and how, in my opinion, um, a lot of people think there's a, an easy shortcut to success. Fabulous. And that if I just put a couple thousand dollars into my Robinhood account and actively trade it every day based on what I think people are doing with their money, I might be able to you know, get 10 or $100,000 as a result of that. However, that misses the point of the research and the time investment that is required in order to actually be successful at those things over a period of time. And, and, and which there's no right or wrong between investing versus trading, but there is a right or wrong between how much time are you putting in and, and are you just taking a shortcut? And what are your expectations based on your actions? Yeah. Like, are you, are you just investing in, in Dogecoin because you think it's everyone else is doing it or are you doing it because you actually understand and you're and you've done the research and, and things like that. And so, and keep in mind, there are, people that do participate in that high level speculation which really is uh like almost momentum trades and that is a thing that people can be successful at but if you take a look and have conversations with those people that have a a successful track record of doing that they also day trade on on various other fundamentals and that might be a portion of their activity and they are highly disciplined on when to get out. Yes. And not being greedy. And this is, it's like you said, it's a sport, right? Can you compete? 
and and they're competing at the highest level. They have so many strategies and so many mechanisms deployed to ensure that they don't go to zero or hopefully ensure that they don't go to zero. And I think that because we have we now have this these amazing tools at our disposal as retails and retail investors, it's really easy to think that we can be just as good as the pros. But I'm not going to go up to LeBron James and try and just play with him because I think I can. Like, don't get me wrong, I'll go to the gym and I'll, I'll play a little basketball by myself, but I'm not going to try and go. You're not going to put money on playing versus LeBron James. Exactly. And so why it, would you think it's that a you, bad trade or investment? <laughs> exactly. And so I guess maybe if we could just, you know, talk a little bit about why people are just trying to take the shortcut. All right. So this is just from my observations, right? Because that's all we really have. Um, and I think that there's enough noise to definitely cultivate some observations. And, you know, I think it's goes back to freaking Instagram if you really want to think about it, right? And TikTok. And TikTok. And maybe Facebook when it was still the new hotness. But it's get rich quick. That's the goal. And if you look at Clubhouse right now, which is a relatively new application and new to the point where you can literally scroll to the bottom of your newsfeed if you want. Like there's not and it, as, there's not an infinite amount. Yeah, yeah. I think they call it the hallway, you know, and there's different rooms and yeah. different clubhouses within the hallway. And and I can't tell you how many like oh, dude. get rich quick and, and leadership exactly things are still say. on there. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, the easy way for me to just get rid of those is to block the rooms or to just like hide them. And hopefully the algorithm will get smart enough to know I don't want to see them. But it is the amount of people that make money off of other people wanting to make money is silly. And it's actually been going on for quite a long time. Like I literally, I don't know how long Instagram has been around and owned by Facebook, but I mean, call it a decade. Yeah. And it's been well, really no, prevalent. It's been going on longer than that too. There's been seminars. And yes. Been yes. Speakers, I'm sorry. Things like that. At scale, visible for your observations, which then creates FOMO which then creates more opportunity for these coaches to make money off people wanting to make money. And there are some success stories, right? But what are we talking about? We're talking about probability of success here and what your actual goals are. And if you want more money, well, what are you going to do with that money? Why do you want it, right? Because at the end of the day, there's an opportunity cost for that money and it is time, right? And so the appeal to spending less time getting more money, well, duh, sign me up. Problem is, from my observations, the probability of that happening is so low that it's not worth the risk. Absolutely not. I mean, you're not going to just quit your job to try and go do that because the probability is low, and most people know that, which is why I think many people are unsuccessful in these types of ventures because they know at the end of the day it's too good to be true. And there's there are there is a sliver of chance that you are successful and you do you are the anomaly in the group and you are the 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 next you know marketing material for this pyramid scheme or whatever it is but and it might not even be a pyramid scheme but the the sales pitch is part-time work for full-time money 
and financial freedom and things like that. And I think it's it's unfortunate that they use that terminology because it is it is those are powerful words. Yes. That mean a lot and that I think a lot of people could benefit from realizing. But it doesn't mean that you're never going to have to work. I think if anything, you need to find work that makes you happy and if making you happy means generating more money then I'm sorry, go get a job that makes you more money. Yeah. And that you enjoy doing so you spend more time or at f- it. Or find a way to make more money. It doesn't have to be a job. Right, right. It definitely does not this day and age. Um, so I don't remember how we started on that topic. Um, but I think there's a lot of participation in a lot of these really new talked about things. GameStop, AMC dogecoin meme stocks meme stocks meme stocks there you go um or meme coins whatever you want to call them but the reason i basically don't participate in those is because the risk versus reward is is not worth playing that game to me right and it's also because this gets into the next layer of complication that i don't want to mess with because fundamentally in my opinion those companies, excluding Dogecoin because it's not a company, those companies are not poised for success in the coming decades. Therefore, I can't invest in that passively, which lowers my time consumption and still generate profit. My money or capital would be better suited elsewhere based on my goals and my lifestyle. Well, yeah. And, and, one quick thing about some of these meme stocks is they actually were based on some fundamentals at the very beginning. Yes. Like yes. GameStop. Yes. But that gets lost in the noise. And and then people just start trading because that's what everyone else is doing. And that's fine. I'm not telling people not to participate in that. By all means, go for it. Can we, but, tr- can we transition to market risk on this topic? Absolutely. Because I have gotten more information on this topic and one of the market risks examples is that although Robinhood was not very clear in many of their explanations in essence I do believe that they got a margin call many of these are settlement issues that take too long to settle so if you make a trade it's not really settled till t plus two which means trade day plus two days so if you have extreme activity on one stock and unfortunately robin hood has to have certain capital requirements that are now elevated because of the risk that is uh, associated with all these options and everything because they're not traded with money they're traded with margin which means debt and so the, the there is something that happened that was not foreseen in the market which created serious risk and i do think high level investors and high level traders put some sort of uh, miscellaneous risk profile because you don't know everything it's impossible to yeah and so go back on a couple of things i don't think robin hood had a margin call and i don't think that they were using debt per se their um, consumers were their their consumers were but i th- what i think um just to kind of clear the air to make sure i'm translating what you're saying properly sure. is they just like a bank doesn't need to have all of the money in sitting in a safe that they have when you take all of their people's accounts and combine them they don't have to have that they need like 10 to 20 percent yep. or something at any given time 
that is what happened to Robin Hood. And they weren't then able to execute all of the trades, right? And and be, when then when you compound that with margin, they basically had to stop it because they didn't have enough cash to to meet the demand. Is that what you were saying? Well, the reason why I called it a margin call was to make it simple. Um, but what happened is their collateral requirements were raised, which in essence which is kind of weird because, call. because what is what are the what are the odds that it, the capital or, sorry, what did you what did you call it? collateral requirements? Yeah. What are the odds that the collateral requirements are just raised at the same exact time and it's only trading that gets halted on these meme stocks? That, so it, yeah. it, it still is a cause for concern. But what is what is interesting about it is that it is it is largely a settlement issue because of our current financial structure. And this relates to the potential benefits of blockchain and Bitcoin being a more efficient settlement organism. But it is ironic, but it also is unprecedented to have this type of activity and this outstanding margin. And Robinhood was really probably just undercapitalized because their previous business model had never seen this. Now, who is in charge of those capital requirements, that's the question that I don't have the answer to. But to say that it was uh, total bullshit, if you will, is probably slightly inaccurate because if you think about it, what Robin Hood did was literally uh, <laughs> destroy their company, dude. They pissed well, off all their customers. Who, yeah. I mean, we'll see. We have a 24-hour news cycle. I wouldn't completely write Robin Hood off at all. They made a lot of people upset. This is not going to go away overnight. It's going to take a while to get over. They're going to have to have a huge PR campaign to rebuild their reputation, in my opinion. But I wouldn't quite write them off yet. But I also wouldn't say it's impossible for them to just if they, really suffer. Yes. and if Especially they, if things are uncovered yes. and this story gets dragged on and things, shady things happened, then but, it's going to look a lot worse. Absolutely. Um but I, you know, no company would wish this upon their consumer base, right? Like that—that's not a goal of theirs. No. However, this is an example of market risk. Nobody, including myself or many of the participants, expected that to be done. Well, and it, the thing is, is that market risk is supposed to be something that everyone is, is sharing is, equally. Is sharing equally. That is the point of market risk. And in market risk is essentially like if you were investing strictly in a portfolio that reflected the market 100%, meaning its correlation was 1.0 with the market, then you would be exposed entirely to only market risk. And then once you start deviating away from that portfolio that reflects the market and maybe you invest in just a single company, not only are you exposing yourself to whatever probability or like correlation of market risk that company has but you're also exposing yourself to firm specific risk so company specific risk such as like failure or how highly regulated is it or how competitive is that um, industry that the company is operating in what is the turnover of the influential board members or ceo all of those things are just specific to a company which require research to understand but getting back to the main point of market risk is it's a shared risk that everyone is aware of 
and shares and tries to estimate the correlation or probability of being exposed to it based on whatever investments they have their money in. The problem is, is this wasn't shared equally this time around. And, and there were people who took risk that hedge funds um, that maybe had their butts saved because they were able to um, have the halt on trading with some of these companies, which would allow them to cover their short positions, et cetera. And so what, what is, what is market risk now in this new environment? If it's truly not shared equally by everyone, or if you know that um, as an institution, you can get bailed out whilst the retail investor is left kind of hanging to dry. Well, that'll continue, and that is observations and and basically homework that would be ongoing, right? I think every market participant should probably do a little bit of time allocation to that subject, um, but a trader is going to need to be f- far more time sensitive on those things, in my opinion, versus an investor. Um, if you are picking a company or picking an index for the long term, because theoretically, uh, those things should work themselves out if you believe the market will continue to return approximately its average in the past. Now, the past doesn't dictate future performance. And although I still think there's value in studying past performance, it's definitely getting a little more confusing on how to relate that to future performance. It is and it isn't. And I think um, one individual that I really look to in, in situations like this is Ray Dalio. So he wrote an awesome book called Big Debt Crises. He's wrote, written a few books um, that I've read. And, but Big Debt Crises, it takes the last, I think, like it's either 37 or 43, and I don't know why I can't remember the number, debt crises that have been faced in history. Worldwide. Worldwide. Shows that there's really two main ones, an inflationary depression and a deflationary depression. And kind of breaks them down to their like core phases and then talks about them specifically. And it's, it's really interesting to see like a lot of the similarities and shifting geopolitical power that we're experiencing right now. And some of the rise in populism that we have. And I mean, like it looks to some extent like we're like facing a civil war almost. And, and these are indicative of previous big debt crises and it's, it's, it's just fascinating to me that, like you said, history doesn't repeat itself. Um, it rhymes, is what they say. And I think at one point or another, as we've said, history repeats itself until it doesn't. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that's really, I think, what we meant is it, it rhymes. It looks yes. similar, but it's not the exact same. Yes. So, you know, that's why studying past performance or history is still super valuable. Because if you combine that with other intuitive or mathematical research you have a better chance of coming to a conclusion that should meet your goals, which is generating revenue or yes. money. And even if you don't come to the right conclusion, you should know that there's a risk that you don't come to the right conclusion and therefore should have a backup plan yep. or therefore should have something to mitigate potential losses. And a lot of my first entry into the market was a small position size because I had to learn, right? And so, um, you know, going gung-ho in this highly competitive, highly complexed, 
financial markets that um, not everybody has the same advantages or disadvantages, that it's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous game. And being conservative uh, is something that I believe in. But as I become more confident, I am now getting a little bit more aggressive because I do believe that concentration builds wealth and diversification uh, protects it. And I am still in the position where I would like to build more than protect. Um, And so that still is not the same as trading on a highly speculative stock with money I can't afford to lose. No, it's it's you doing the research on a few different investments that you believe are going to have very high long-term growth potential. And it's kind of the growth versus value conversation. You know, do I want to do I want to invest in Coca-Cola because I think Coca-Cola is going to be around for a while and it's eliminated a lot of its firm specific risk and it's I mean it's still got some, but it's pretty much just going to be rolling with what the market does. Yeah. Or do I want to take a chance on something? that isn't proven yet, but if it is, has a lot of upside, right? Yeah, those are choices. And a lot of people have both those choices in their portfolio. Yes, and and I think too, one thing we have to acknowledge is that you know, we're, we both have the same goal, right? So a lot of this conversation is focused on how do you make more money through different investment vehicles? But I think it's also entirely possible that there's people who have the opportunity to participate in the markets, but they're not because they think the only reason to do it is to make more money. But really, if money isn't your thing and that's not all it's about for you, that's okay. It can You can still use diversification as a way to protect your money from outside forces, things that are out of your control, such as massive amounts of inflation. And at least you have exposure to assets that would hopefully appreciate in the event of uh, the rise in inflation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, some of the some of the reality that is not directly on the inflation definition is that we have a situation in our country where we are essentially printing money through debt means we're borrowing it right so there's only a couple different options to correct that pay it back default on it which is not something a political party uh, really has the freedom to do restructure it which looks pretty slim for us as well and the only other option you're left with is to dilute the money supply and so hold on let's break those down because i think this is super important in realizing that None of those outcomes are actually ideal. There's no, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, there's, for sure. Because, because <laughs> it, it, what a lot of people don't think about in terms of debt, and this is going back to that big debt crises book that I um, was mentioning earlier. One thing that is just super basic principle is that one person's debt is another person's income. And so I may not be able to remember the four that you mentioned, but if you have to repay that debt, that means that it's coming out of your pocket. So there's still less money for you to spend elsewhere. Correct. If you cancel that debt, then that means someone is not getting the income that they were promised. Therefore, 
less money for them to spend. Correct. Which has similar economic kind of downturn type situations. Recessionary tendencies. Yes. And what was the... Restructuring. Refinancing. Restructuring. Yeah. Which changes the, the flow, the payback period, who receives the money, when they receive it, and potentially just prolongs the inevitable until you circle back to one of the first two options that we had talked about. And then was there a fourth one? I can't remember. I don't think Dilute so. the currency. Dilute the currency. Which is the one we are experiencing. And what happens when the currency is diluted? Your buying power is diminished. So essentially, you may still be earning the same on paper, but you can't buy as much. Exactly. And you n- need to keep pumping the economy with more money for it to continue to grow, essentially. Absolutely. And if you're an individual, you need to keep making more money to maintain the same lifestyle. Now, that can be manipulated through interest rates, but we are getting to the point where uh, they are low enough where we're running out of ammunition in that category. Yeah. And so, so really, what's why, the answer? What, what's the answer? Okay. It's investing, in my opinion. It's investing in things that can hopefully create a hedge for the dilution of the money supply, which is essentially inflation. And that is the primary activities that I participate in. Um, Equities is a good one right now because most of the money supply is causing asset inflation. Arguably, you're starting to see it in some other sectors, right? But let's just take a look at the main real estate and equities. Okay, that's what everyone wants to play in. Everyone wants to buy a duplex and house hack it. Everyone wants to buy GameStop or wish they would have bought Tesla on the low, right? Equities have a history of performing well in inflationary times. And the reason is, is because our interest rates or Fed fund rates are super low. So fixed income isn't generating a lot of yield. Your savings account isn't generating a lot of yield. Your CD account isn't generating a lot of yield. So where is the yield? And the yield is in growth stocks. It's in dividend stocks, um, which is also still highly influenced by market risk because the money injection needs to still make it to the market in order for it to maintain its boldness. And so maybe you want to have something outside of that as well. So I do think diversification is how you protect against what's going on in the best way that I know how to do it. And it basically consists of gold, Bitcoin, real estate, equities currently. But just because I'm invested in all those areas for the long term, doesn't mean that if something fundamental changes that I won't change that philosophy. Yeah. And, and I think right now the reason why your strategy is the way it is, a lot of people would look at your approach to cryptocurrency and say, you're not diversified. A lot of people would look at your approach to equities and say, you're not diversified. Real estate, you're not diversified. They would look yeah, like at I these things. I don't own an index fund. They, yeah. They would look at these things independently and say you're not kind of diversified but when you combine everything together you have a very well diversified portfolio made up of different asset classes which is great now the challenge is and kind of veering off a a minute from from this is 
you are in a position really to benefit no matter what. No matter what set of economic circumstances happen, because, you know, really, if it all hits the fan, you at least have property to, like, use as shelter. Right. You know, you have the basic needs covered if it really came to that. But the conversation that a lot of people aren't having is, and and I don't think is is, uh, necessarily something that people want to be had right now, is that if you don't have exposure to assets, you are... You're really getting robbed. You're getting robbed and you're increasingly falling behind. The middle class in our country has been diminished significantly over the last 20, 30 years. But right now, the wealth disparity in our country, it is accelerating. And and it is, it's really sad, in my opinion. And, And I don't know where we go from here. I really don't. But it's 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 going to be really interesting because, like I said in this last this previous episode, is it's all related. The reason that we're seeing this rise in populism and this rise in frustration between different groups and to trying to get back at the system or some authority figure is because we have this rapidly widening wealth disparity in our country. And unless people are made aware of these strategies that you speak of to protect yourself from whatever is going to come our way, whether it's a natural disaster, an economic disaster, geopolitical risk, whatever, unless you're positioned to to survive those, it's not looking too hot right now. No, uh, because the alternative is dependence, right? Which uh, dependence on who? Government. And so universal basic income used to look like a fairy tale, but one could make the argument that we're actually living in some sort of version of that right now. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think that Andrew Yang's version of universal basic income is going to just, it's not an on-off switch. It's not something that just happens overnight. It's something that needed a, a disaster, catastrophe, whatever you want to call it, like covid to take place for it to start to trickle down into kind of our everyday way of life. Like think about it. People are mad. Like, ugh, they haven't passed the next $2 trillion stimulus package. How ridiculous is that? I mean, that's a lot of money. We would have been blown away two years ago thinking about $2 trillion for the stimulus and it's needed. Don't get me wrong in my opinion, but how they how efficiently they allocate it is up for debate <laughs> well and there's also a little bit of disconnect from my observation in the fact that many people are frustrated at how long it takes legislation like that to pass and there's some valid frustration with that right like okay go ahead and meet and make a decision but the truth is uh we don't have the money to spend right it's it's it we don't have it right we're going to make it because our people need it but that is the situation of where we're at, right? So there was four options to uh, correct your debt, right, uh, which is our country's debt. And I actually do believe the first three options are not really options. And I do believe that if you take a look at what happened in uh, 2018 and 19, where uh, the Fed actually was increasing interest rates, Japan did it a long time ago, too, when they tried to basically correct what they were doing um there was massive backlash because that's causes pain 
right, in a recessionary fashion. And so I think we've kind of got to the point where, unfortunately, diluting our money supply to be able to service our debt, uh, which is creating inflation, that's how they're going to continue to service higher levels of debt. It's actually the only option people are willing to accept. And it's mostly because they don't necessarily understand the long-term implications. And there is some belief that we might be able to do this forever. I'm just not in that belief party. And so the other side of the coin is, is in order to have a diversified asset uh, allocation, like real estate, equities, um, Bitcoin or or gold or something, you have to generate revenue for yourself. You have to have income to then get taxed on and place in those things, right? So that can be from trading. If you're good at it, you can make money and do that. Um, I would be willing to bet many traders that are highly successful do put some long-term holds in place. You s- And I had to make that decision for myself because I was in the retail sector and I made enough money to live, but literally that was it. I had a very basic lifestyle, but there was no hope based on what I could do with what I was doing in the retail sector to grow revenue high enough based on my constraints. So I had to make the decision to transition to a different industry. Turns out I actually like it, but I did not want to go back to that industry at first. I had previously worked in it and I didn't like that experience, but I was younger and dumber and in a different mindset. So the only reason why I was even able to uh, help protect myself against uh, what the government seems to be forced to be doing is because I fucking took one for the team, quote unquote, because my family is now just beyond me, right? I have other things to worry about and other people to support and other people to think about when I'm making decisions. And so the idea of do what makes you happy, do what you love, do all this and that, that's fine. But if you have unrealistic expectations by those things, chances are we can't have much of a conversation because I'm going to tell you to shut up. Yeah, and that's that's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> but I think that it's it's fine if people want to have. The, I personally agree with you. I don't have that attitude. I never will have that attitude but it's fine if people want to have that attitude if there aren't any dependents if there isn't anyone that is is relying on them for sustaining a way of life and dependents could be parents by the way absolutely and and so i think that regardless of who it is it's important to don't just follow what some person is saying is the new hotness like do your research or don't, whatever. I'm not here to tell people what to do. In my opinion, you stand to benefit more over the long term if you do your research, if you evaluate your current position, your risk profile, your investment time horizon, where you think the future is going, what you think the world will look like 50 years from now, and how do you set yourself up in a position to be successful in that world based on where you want to be. And, and and make those decisions for yourself and, and start to plan accordingly because no one's going to do it for you. And it's as simple as that. There's no cookie cutter framework to win. And if you believe that, well, probably should do some other 
evaluation. I think you're missing some uh, opportunities that may be able to be taken advantage of if, if you get boxed into that mindset. 100%. And so, all right, so I don't know if you know the definition of it. I don't know how to explain it to perfection. But, like, I think the like the law of exponential growth or the law of compounding interest is severely underestimated because I think when I thought I didn't have a lot of money, it was like pointless to like put it somewhere and invest it because I could have started earlier. I really could have. I just didn't because I didn't have this like larger sum of money to then place where I felt like it was going to be uh, worth it. Right. And in all actuality, uh, that was just a incorrect mindset in my opinion. Yeah, and and it's it's not that it was incorrect. It was correct given the availability of information correct. that you had. It was the lack of information and complete understanding of the fact that just having money in a savings account is actually probably doing you more of a disservice than if you put it somewhere else to generate a return potentially. Because really, people think that it's risky to or it's that it's, that it's sorry that it's risk free to have money in a savings account, but it's actually probably just as, if not a little more risky to have money in a, in a savings account because it's getting diluted. diluted as and that's, a, and that's a shift, right? If you would have talked about uh, prior to 1970, dude, savings account would have been pretty reliable. Oh, for sure. Um, but So that, that changes as the world changes. Uh-huh. And, and so I kind of I got lost my train of thought here, but it's, it, it, it's important that people are evaluating it holistically and not just making these assumptions that, oh, I can't do anything because it's not enough. Well, it can if you compound it and you're consistent, you put your money away, you save it slash invest it, you know, the returns that you will see over the long term and the law of compounding interest, it is wild. It, it truly is. It is. And, and starting at the age of like in your mid 20s let's say even can make a big difference if you start then as opposed to starting in your 30s or 40s yes you know um but granted also with enough hard work and effort you could probably make it up it's never too late is also the moral of the story yes and you know it's kind of cool that fractional shares came out as an opportunity because it actually makes understanding uh, fractional Bitcoins or any tokens uh, way easier to grasp, in my opinion. Um, because if you look at Amazon, right, dude, it's like 3300 a share. Well, you don't need to buy a whole share anymore. And so somebody with um, less money can still participate at their small scale version. And that is also true in Bitcoin or many other coins. And I, it's funny. I still talk to people today. I can't afford forty thousand yes. dollar Bitcoin. Yes. Like I just can't. Good. You don't need to. But it's actually still misunderstood. Even when I literally show them, like here on this particular platform, I own point zero two three five six eight nine Bitcoins. Yeah. But that misconception is is a super. I just look at it as super unfortunate for the person who has it. Well, yeah, but it's also a, a societal issue, right? Like this limited information in these boxes that algorithms put. I'm fortunate that I have gamed the algorithm to feed me content that elevates 
my consciousness on a daily basis. There's a lot of people who are consuming content that does the exact opposite. We were having this conversation about just doing an experiment of spending an hour on TikTok and how much dumber you feel. I, I legitimately feel dumber after watching whatever news feed was put in front of me or reels or TikToks, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I did the last 45 minutes because I was bored and irritated after 15, but I was just like, screw it. I want to see what the rest has in store because I know people spend more than 15 minutes on this. Yes. And then I thought about it and I was like, how many words could I have read in that amount of time? Exactly. And it's, it's all about opportunity costs and, in you know, what, what else could you be doing with the time that you're wasting? And so I'll be honest, I probably spend more time on Twitter than I would like to, you know, in a productive sense, but I've made sure that the time I'm spending on Twitter is productive. I'm also starting to realize that maybe I don't need to know every single churn of news that comes out about Bitcoin or Tesla or whatever, because honestly, it's very rare that there is going to be a piece of news that changes my investment thesis on either of those things. At this point. At this point. But I mean, maybe earlier on, for sure, when it wasn't as proven, but I just, it would have to, like Tesla recalling 150,000 vehicles this last week would have been a huge deal a couple of years ago. But I'm just to for the you, point for you personally, for me personally. Well, yes. And for the company as well, because they just, I think, crossed the total of a, a million cars delivered. Yeah. So, right. This is still more than 10 percent. It'd be 15 percent. Yeah. 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 And um, so, so point being, it would have been a, a lot bigger back then. But I don't even care. And I don't think the market cares because it, it's it is a long term play. And as long as the foundational pieces remain then all is well. And I think that even if I turned the phone off and turned the news off and completely isolated myself from a lot of these things and didn't look at it and just looked at it in 10 years, I'd be like, you know what? I didn't benefit from having access to this additional information because it was the basic 101 fundamental first principles that led me to my investment decision that have kept me in it this long. Absolutely. And there are definitely pieces of information that can make drastic influences. However, uh, the art of ignoring the rest of it and paying attention to those is something that's just a learned skill, in my opinion. Absolutely. And, dude, it provides you a lot less uh, stress and anxiety or, or, or almost like information fatigue syndrome. Because, dude, when you have a full-time work Maybe you have some properties to manage. Maybe you have some kids to manage, distance learning. You know, you got to have some personal time as well. Um, I've definitely I have an obsessive nature, right? Same. Um, and it, it gets to the point where, like, dude, all right, what is going on? Because I'm not enjoying this. And that's a sign for me that it's time to leave my – first principles, fundamental research alone, and just step back and take a break. Absolutely. I've had to do that literally like four times this year. Yes. And it 
does become stressful and it does become information overload. And it's, in my opinion, it's so much fun. Like I love learning. We've had this discussion before. I love learning. I think you do too. We, we like understanding how to connect the dots and it's really cool to see how the pieces are moving and why they're moving the way they are. But just trying to understand the world is just nothing any human being is really capable of. No, definitely not. And and that is why some of the most successful people preach first principles. You know, it's because it's those things and those types of questions or answers are the ones that will hold true for the long term. And it does allow the focus to be in the right place because, uh, dude, you're incentivized to go in the wrong places many times. Absolutely. And then you can just kind of make fun of it like Elon Musk does with Doge, you know? Which then, you know, it could be misinterpreted. Even the post about Bitcoin, right, or the Twitter uh, profile situation. Absolutely. Um I mean, if you followed the market, it spiked and dipped, and who knows if that's directly correlated to Elon. But if you're making an investment decision based on somebody's Twitter profile change, you probably need to do some other evaluating across your life. Absolutely. However, if you were a successful trader and you were able to execute and get out real quick, good for you. Good for you. Absolutely. So to wrap it up, man... um, we just kind of were observing a lot of the attention and we've got questions and, and different feedback and we actually don't really participate in many of the, any of the meme stocks or Dogecoin. And that's not to say that there's not opportunities there, but I, I actually got the sense that the questions were being asked to me in an advice manner, right? But I actually didn't have any advice other than to not participate in those, and here's why I don't. Now, that's still incomplete, but uh, the FOMO was real, dude. The FOMO was real. Yeah, I mean, a lot. I know people who participated, and I know people who didn't participate, and both of them feel like they could have participated more. But it's just like you don't know. You'd be saying the exact opposite if you participated and it went down, you know? and you didn't stand to benefit from the outcomes. I I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the meme stocks or Dogecoin or whatever. And if someone has the ability to explain to me with real evidence why these are good investments and not just momentum plays, I'm totally open to hearing it. Because there were so many people who weren't open to hearing about Bitcoin in its early days who are probably kicking a wall right now, a cement wall. (laughs) Barefoot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that has nails coming out of it. Because they didn't invest in Bitcoin. And and because they weren't open to hearing about it. Okay, so let me ask you this, right? I feel like a lot of those people, because I know them, uh, because I voiced my opinion a long time ago or whatever, um, they still aren't participating because they think it's too late. Well, because you got to buy a whole Bitcoin, right? (laughs) Well, after I explain that, they still can't wrap their head around uh, why somebody 
Like, I'll just be honest. I, I bought some at 39, right? Okay, I don't even think it's 39 right now. It was 40, 38, whatever. But I also bought some literally so significantly cheaper. But, like, I'm still buying it at the places that these other people who literally don't own any are not willing to buy it at. So, yes. so like, what is that What is that psychological barrier? What is, I, don't, I don't understand it. It's a fear of losing it in my opinion and it's some type of experience that that individual has had whether it's living through a different recession or whether it's you know financial insecurity who knows there is just a fear of the unknown and cash or dollars in a checking or savings account is known it's something that you can trust familiarity and familiarity and that you can understand and i just don't think that bitcoin is something that a lot of people understand or have the time to understand it and i get the fear if i didn't do the research on it i probably would not have the conviction that i do and i think the same goes for kind of how you feel about it and there's really no way to convince people because you can bring the horse to water but you can't make it drink yes yes absolutely and and really i think the one caveat to that is if you have somebody that you trust with your finances that would happen to recommend that you might just go ahead and trust their word it's actually really interesting though uh, the overwhelming amount of people that i know that have their money with a financial person it's actually just not on the list of recommendations. Yeah, and a lot of that is because, and I could be wrong here. I don't know if it's every firm or some of them, but there are specific investments where they have like a uh, investment grade equity assignment to it. And there's others where they're saying we're not going to buy it right now because of one reason. Or they just haven't figured out the logistics of what it takes to buy Bitcoin or other crypto assets at an institutional level. And that is a very real topic, the farther up the chain you get in institutions, because actually, in my opinion, you're seeing institutions go into it now, but there's still another level of institutions that are just really not allowed to play yet because the legal framework has not been fully outlined in the aspect of how do we litigate this if something goes wrong, right? And you have to predict the future in order to instill those regulations and uh, processes in court. And that is a extremely difficult place to navigate. And so the freedom of an individual is you actually get to make those choices for yourself in a far quicker manner. Yes. And if you're looking, chances are we're looking to build wealth as individuals and these very large institutions that haven't been able to really dip their feet in the water yet they're looking to protect it yes and if the foundational kind of fundamentals and the investment case for bitcoin holds true they won't need to participate at thirty thousand dollars to reap the benefits that they need to reap because they will have the wealth preservation benefits which is really the long-term play on bitcoin is is this store of value and then if you are able to achieve the upside of its appreciation as an asset then more power to you, but you just need to be a little bit more nimble and agile like individual retail investors and some of these smaller quote unquote institutions or companies coming into the space right now are. And they're still very big, but not as big as these massive institutions. Yes. Yes. And so, um, 
hopefully we'll see that continue to transpire because it definitely looks promising and it has been cool to see uh bitcoin continue to defy pretty much the odds man and i don't know about the odds but just the odds that i commonly heard right away when it came out it's just really cool to be right fair enough (laughs) fair enough hopefully hopefully i think we're good um and and the payment system i just want to outline this there's actually a bank in wyoming that is applying to the fed for the application of uh the payment system and what i didn't know and what i think many people don't know is the federal reserve is looked at like they control monetary policy uh which is which is true um but what they also control and probably has a bigger influence is the payment network and so how do they get the funds to the places where when they make these monetary policy decisions right and currently there is actually no payment system in the institutional banking sphere that has permission to do it and this particular bank has an application that has a digital US dollar token, which means that they are going to be able to settle cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specific transactions, and then easily convert those to dollars. And I can't remember the name of that bank. Avanti. Yeah, Avanti. And I do believe, is this different from Anchorage? Because I think they There's two banks. Yeah, Anchorage just had regulatory approval a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, two weeks ago. And they just announced this past week, the first week of February 2021, that they're going to be working with Visa um, to kind of allow Visa to take part in crypto, um, specifically, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, which is a big deal, given the fact that they were um, pretty pessimistic on Bitcoin, I should say crypto's potential outlook years ago. Um, And I think the bigger players are actually getting in the ear of some of the members in the SEC, I watched an interview with the founder of Avanti Bank and somebody on the SEC uh, as a regulator. And, you know, really the the push is because uh, the demand is there. The demand is there to utilize these things. Well, it's in the technology is also there is also there. And the technology stands to benefit realistically everyone. Efficiency will benefit everyone. Now, especially our banking system, especially our banking system, but primarily the end consumer. Yes, the, because the, there will be some casualties in the banking system, most likely. Uh, very certainly, I would say very high probability that that happens. Um, one thing that's super cool, though. So Gary Gensler, who is now the head of the SEC, he actually um, he taught a course at MIT. I can't remember the name of it, but it, it was like banking and cryptocurrency. Like it was a course that focused specifically on cryptocurrency and it's on MIT open courseware on YouTube. So you can check it out. I watched all of the lectures. I think there was like 24 of them hours, some long this man. I'm very pleased to see. He's not like pro crypto or like, I love Bitcoin. I'm a big, not like that, but it's, it's very refreshing to see somebody who's well-versed enough in the space to teach it to I think it was maybe MBA students at, at MIT Sloan School of Management. And it's nice to know that he's going to be an individual who helps kind of guide policy decisions 
and probably lead them um, around cryptocurrency. Yeah, uh, I haven't been as familiarized with that, but any uh, people with that level of understanding being in those types of positions is is super beneficial. And I actually do think, just like you said, uh, the end consumer will likely benefit from most of this uh, evolution. Yeah, and even if he makes decisions that we don't necessarily agree with from a policy standpoint, I'm fairly certain that they will be backed those decisions will be backed by good evidence and and good intentions for whatever they could be but it's it will be well thought out and rational for the most part and i think progress versus perfection is just like a reality in our country in legislation and there just isn't going to be a perfect scenario but progress versus perfection i just think we need to continue to progress in so many different areas but this one specifically uh, because we do have a really inefficient financial plumbing scenario for sure for sure so that encompassed a lot of our you know, beliefs and, and ideas at the end, uh, to circle back my words of encouragement. And these are ones that I have basically just told myself as I've grown to, uh, make good decisions and bad decisions in investing and, or even trading, right? Like Tesla was pretty easy to trade on the way up. It, it was, you could follow news stories that were pretty solid, but I don't necessarily participate in that. But I love learning, just like you said. So I did participate in some activities, but I was willing to risk losing money because that's what I felt like learning was worth. But my words of encouragement are nobody knows your exact scenario better than you do. So I take all advice with a severe caveat. That doesn't mean I don't listen to it. And that doesn't mean I don't think smart people are correct and right. But I do take a step back and say, hey, does this apply to me given my goals, given my time resources, given my primary income generation, giving what I have access to for investment vehicles, right? You know, real estate is a little bit harder to get into. The barrier of entry is a little bit higher. You might be able to finagle a low down payment if your primary residence is your first investment property, but otherwise money and a large amount of it is actually required. And so those are all things that I think I consider when people start to tell me about certain opportunities. Yep. And I think at the end of the day, obviously neither of us are financial advisors. We're just speaking from our own experiences and what we do. And our observations. And, and Yes, and our observations. But I encourage people, you know, make your own observations. But if there's anything that... I think is the main takeaway in anything in life, but particularly as it relates to investing, I liked it. There's kind of three rules I follow, have a plan, do your research, be consistent. Simple as that. If you approach anything in life, following those three steps, you'll be in a far better situation than if you don't follow those three steps. Absolutely. And with conviction based on research, I do believe you have the authority to change your own plan. 
Absolutely. So stick to it. We'll see you next time.